welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast where we reflect and dissect the movies of the past 10 years. I'm your host, Jack Draper, with music host, Clay Williams. How are you? I'm good. I was disappointed that Obvious Child did not have any symbiotes in the, in the movie. Yeah, huge letdown. That was like yeah, flat, no symbiotes. Right number one. Yeah, no symbiotes like, or no, thank you. just like no venom. I mean, this was I like know. my low hanging fruit joke when I saw Knives Out. It's like they didn't play Knives Out by Radiohead. It's like I could not think of anything less creative. <laughs> I mean, I thought mine, my joke about you know referencing the 2018 picture Venom was a little more creative than that one, but okay. All right. All right. And how <laughs> well, it was an obvious reference to how Jenny Slate pronounces symbiote in the trailer. I think that was just like a home run of a reference run. that everyone at that least everyone they are both they're both on brand we can say yeah that. i mean everyone understood that reference too which is great like everyone knows exactly what i'm talking about <laughs> right. the moment i said symbiote it was it just i clearly had, had to four, not do some mental quadrants. gymnastics to like, yeah totally sort totally, of kind of totally, get totally. back to it yeah i mean no. we all remember the Definitely movie not. venom right we all love it, it totally exists yeah it totally does exist it very um, much exists and it did he, come out in 2018 mm-hmm, very much so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Michelle uh, Williams is in it, too. Like <laughs> these are just facts that I'm stating. Oscar nominee. Yep. Okay. Well, we're not talking about Venom, unfortunately. But well, fortunately, this is... you know, I'm. We'll, we'll talk episode, about Venom. Eventually. I would not be surprised if you threatened to like turn the ship. So Venom and Dread. Those are the <laughs> only movies I want to talk about. Uh, well, you know, if the guest, if the host choice on October idea does come through. That's under deliberation as we yeah, speak. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. yeah. Intense Nothing negotiations. But if it does, then you got your opportunity. Yes, we should introduce our guest. Yes. Uh, today we have Jazz James with us. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you guys? Not bad, not bad. Surviving. Um, survi- right, just another day in 2020. I mean, Alive. Woohoo! Oh, we're still going. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> we're still doing this. <laughs> We are here. Uh, yes. yes, tell us about yourself. You yes. know, what, what do you do? What's, what's your life like? What is the, what do you have a gateway movie that you're like, okay, this is how I got into film? Oh, kind of background? Question. Maybe Whiplash, actually. Mm. Um, yeah, I saw it in the cinema. And I remember, because obviously it's, it's like shot like a horror film. And I quite like jazz music. I used to like be involved in like the jazz bands in school and stuff and that just blew my mind that film and then I came out and I was like this like this is what I need to to get more into and then from there and there I remember just becoming obsessed with Damien Chazelle and like I found all this stuff about La La Land when it was still meant to be I think it was meant to be Miles Teller and Emma Watson yes yeah Yeah. and then I was like oh my god like this is gonna come out and then obviously it completely changed with like Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone but I, I would say Whiplash for me, like that whole cinema experience is what made me mm. like get really into film. So what, so what did you, um, what was your jump? So if you jumped off of that, what was your next step into that? Did you just look into just like other, uh, you said it was shot like a horror film. Did you go into, you know, experience, like, did you try to explore more horror films or did you? go more into dramas 
I just wanted to spend more time actually going to the cinema rather than just mm-hmm. stuff like at home, like on my TV or on my laptop or whatever. I think um, I remember seeing Nightcrawler as well, and that sort of mm. thing. Me too. That was very formative for me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that. I still think that film is like one of the best films I've ever seen. Probably. Yeah. Quite good. But then, yeah, I don't know. Then I just waited patiently for like La La Land <laughs> to come out because after Whiplash, I was just like, please, I need more. I need more. <laughs> um, yeah, it's always fun to find that um, that special movie and then keep and like just keep going mm-hmm. uh, and just have that like be the foundation of everything you see from then on. If that yeah. makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And I think after seeing La La Land, I was just like, it was a film made for people who love films. And then like the next one of that kind of thing for me was Brigsby Bear for Definite. That's Ooh. like mm. yeah. film lovers. Like it's all just about the passion behind it and like creating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and certainly it's about that love for for a very specific something. Yeah. And that individual that loves that something. Yeah, that's a good one. So how did you get into film writing? Oh, I don't even letterboxed, I think. Probably. Just mm. like it started off as like silly little reviews and then um some of the ones that made me write longer pieces were like Columbus, The Florida Project. Um, I don't know. I think those are two of the main ones. And then from there, I was like, oh, maybe people actually like are interested in what I have to say. And it was never, this was before I started studying film at uni, I think, or maybe as I'd first started studying it. Um, like it was just for a module. I'm not a film major or anything. Um, mm-hmm. And... I don't know, I think I put a lot of myself in my reviews of things. So, cause I've never, it's never really been about like analyzing the film for me. It's more about like, like for example, my ratings are based on my personal connection to a film, like how entertained I am by it and then by its filmmaking aspects. But for me, it's so mm-hmm. important I like connect with the film. You take that yes. personal attachment to heart when <laughs> describing and talking and writing about movies. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The priorities are like in reverse almost. Yeah. Yeah, it's creative. Yeah. So talk to us about your personal connection to this movie, Obvious Child, a movie that by all accounts and purposes, you watch at least once a month, if I'm reading your bio correctly. Yeah. Which I feel as though if we were to ever have someone pick this, you are absolutely the perfect person to pick it. <laughs> I feel it's like true. it's become like my brand almost, or like my personality. <laughs> like the number of people that said your to me, only like, personality trait. Yeah, yeah. you can just <laughs> clear the air. <laughs> I don't. I think it's like obviously it is a romantic comedy, but it's it's subversive in the way that like it comes from a one night stand. It's about unplanned pregnancy, like women are sleeping around in it. I don't know, I think it's just very modern and fresh. And you can really tell that it's written by a woman slash women. Um, just like the characterization and everything behind it. I don't know. There's like, it feels like there's like some secrets of womanhood that are put into it that we don't usually talk about, but then it's like suddenly on the big screen. Mm-hmm. How did you first see it? You see it, did you watch it yes. in theaters? No, I think I just randomly 
found I think I just wanted something easy I think I was having like a bad day and I just wanted something easy to watch and then it was a recommendation mm-hmm. on something and so I just gave it a go but I didn't watch the trailer because I remember the first time I watched it like I had no idea it was going to be about unplanned pregnancy when mm. that's like literally the only description of the film really um and it's called obvious child so it should have been obvious but yeah I, I, I mean I watched it last night and I for, and I I I just knew it was called Obvious Child. I didn't really know. And I knew it was Jenny Slate. I totally forgot about the pregnancy thing. Like, I didn't even read the bio. And I was just like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is the movie. What is so your relationship with, you with Jenny Slate? Are you like... This is probably my introduction to her, actually. Okay. Um, and I just fell in love with her. Like, there's a quote in the film that talks about how Donna is, like, unapologetically herself. And mm-hmm. I just think Jenny Slate is that in everything. Yeah. Um, and I think that comes through a lot in her um, comedy special, like that was on Netflix, Jenny Slate, Stage Fright. But then she very much like a uh, a wholesome narcissist. It's like how yeah. I can describe it. Yeah. But I think she's she's, she's very real. Vulnerable, then she gives off as well, yeah. and I think that really, really comes through in Stage Fright. And I I think you see a bit of that in Obvious Child as well. Um, but especially in stage fright when she opened right. up about everything. Clan and I both had the idea of watching Straight Fright for this. Which I was know. very funny, yeah. It, I saw that too before I watched. So like last <laughs> night I watched. So we both watched, Obvious. this was your first time watching Obvious Child, right, Jack? It was. And I only knew Jenny Slate as Missy from Big Mouth hmm. and Mona Lisa from Parks and Rec. <laughs> so it's not like I was aware of this kind of depth and vulnerability she was capable of i was very impressed um so but yeah i saw that those characters are so to... big and broad you know, so i mean i have familiarity with jenny slate too but for some reason i thought i've like seen her in 20 more things than i actually have she just feels so integral to pop culture for some reason like she's this big part of it and she's been everywhere when i mean she's been in a lot of different things but stuff that I haven't necessarily seen. I just feel like she's always just been present when I've been watching stuff. She's just in um, a certain comedian circle. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I thought like she would have, and I was surprised when looking through IMDb, I'm like, oh, I'm surprised I haven't seen her in like more starring vehicles like this. It's just, it's, she's mostly like, she pops in for a few episodes on various television shows and does some animated stuff and then kind of like, pops in and out and she's just a a working actress and i also thought she had a way bigger stand-up career and like stage fright's like her first and only stand-up special um i think so like i tried to do some research she was only on and i'm like oh yeah she was on snl but she was only on snl for one year but for some reason i thought she's just always been omnipresent um and and I will be honest, I have got like I will, I'm guilty of getting her confused with um, the Broad City uh, cast. A lot like, of Glazer, yeah. I know it's it, yeah. it's it's I can a cliche. See it. I mean, she mentions it in her stand-up special about how often that she gets it. <laughs> hey, love you in Broad City. <laughs> I know it's it. I, she's and the reason why I think I'm going to talk about this, and I'll at least mention that uh, special maybe a few times while we're having this conversation, is because I do think it's a companion piece to this movie. Mm, same director. Certainly. Same director. It yeah. has a lot of the same themes of, you know, breakup and um, recovering from just like a, recovering from, I don't want to say a midlife crisis, but like a turning point 
in someone's life to kind of regain control of something and figure out what you want um and like main, like basically come back from something um yeah and i think but like i watched the special and i know jack that you watched the same you watched we have both did the same thing i saw that you did it first like i logged like i had the same idea so i logged into letterboxd like oh yeah he's gonna watch stage fright too um and i think it's just because once i was finished with the movie i was just like jenny slate is truly an incredible talent and i want more mm-hmm. of her in everything um i think she should less i i this might be a crazy thing to say oh boy i'm gonna say it anyway are you I gonna get canceled should, i no 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 no, no. <laughs> uh, i think she should be as big as adam sandler legit or Adam Sandler, like, like 90s Sandler, or yes, now Sandler. Sure, like just all of it. I don't know. Just like she should have, she should be catapulted into being a like a legit star <coughs> in comedy and in you know and like and also in dramedies. Um, mm-hmm. I know she's done plenty of work since this, um, but like I mentioned Venom, and <laughs> she and I know this oh, no. is a weird, but. Well, I mean, she gets a shitty role in that movie. I mean, I like that. I think that movie's fun, but she's completely underutilized. Really? Wait, she's hang on. Into this you... scientist role where she's not even allowed she... to be funny. One second. She... One second. One... I need to interrupt. God. You, I'm sorry. You like the movie. I like the movie, Venom. Oh. Um, I, I think. Just wanted. Um, sorry. But See I do. But it sucks that like that she gets cast in like these temples and does some this voice work or whatever and. She's just, she's always regulated to being a side character. I literally think she should be starring in more movies. I know her, and the reason why I also compare her to Sandler is because her she has an abrasive personality that is so endearing, and she just goes in a million different ways. I mean, her energy is off the fucking charts. Yeah, completely. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's an incredible talent, uh, and I think it. I don't know. Watching this for the first time being aware of Jenny Slate, not necessarily like watching her entire career, but being aware of her and like seeing her and stuff and seeing her like firecracker energy when she guest stars in some episodes of shows I've watched or she pops into movies. And and I also remember her from SNL, um, even though it was only a year. Um, I think it's a, I, I, I think she should be so much more present more than she already is because I think she has something special that no one else is doing right now. Um, so watching this for the first time, seeing her, the true like range of her talent was really like impactful. I just was like, Oh, I am now like a Jenny Slate fan. And I always will be the moment I watched this movie. Yeah. It's quite a turn on certainly. And those year long SNL stints aren't, Irregular because you also see um, Julia Louis Dreyfus and mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. famously. Uh, oh yeah, I mean it's the, especially in the early ten, like in the early aughts or late aughts. There's <laughs> definitely like these year year run SNL cast members who go on to become like pretty big. Yeah, um, yeah. This is certainly like a a personal vehicle that it's not like an autobiography, but you get the full portrait of a person uh, in the movie. And um, 
It's also how this person is can show different sides of herself to the other relationships, which is very, very interesting to to dissect. Like uh, the Richard Kind character, he's he gets a side of her, and then the Gabby Hoffman character gets a side of her. So it's it's not like you feel like this this person is gonna be the same no matter who she's interacting with. Yeah, like there's quite a lot of scenes where it switches between like her dinner with her mom versus her dinner with her dad. And mm-hmm. she's like a completely different person. Um, but I also think there's, talking about like her vulnerability, there's a Q&A that I think was at the Lincoln Center. Yeah, I saw that one. And she talks about how like, obviously in general, she's a comedian, but then a lot of her pain is like in her eyes and everything like when she's acting. Like she'll still try to make a joke of it all, but you can see that like she is her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially I, in those moments, they feel like um, she's on the the verge of something like on stage sometimes, and she's kind of wasted. And like after the breakup, like that's that's something where it's like you feel like she can also um, like go right into tears. Yeah. But at any moment. But like keeping composure is also just so impressive. Yeah. In the character and in the performance. Yeah. I'm just uh I'm just doing some little white light uh Wikipediaing. Oh thank um, God, it's not heavy uh, heavy Wikipedia. Oh, no no no, no. it's it's light, very light. Okay. Um and I'm just we, you you were talking I mean, I think both of you have mentioned how personal this film is and how like it feels like a direct, it's a statement that needed to be made in the sense of that these filmmakers wanted to just to lay it out and destigmatize and um, like a lot of the, they wanted to take down a lot of the preconceived notions and stereotypes of women, single women in these situations. Um, independent women in these situations too. Like, I mean, I'm just, so uh, this film is based off a short film that um, I want to make sure I pronounce this right. Uh, Jillian, Jillian Robespierre? Robespierre. Jillian Robespierre, the director and Karen Maine and Elizabeth Holm, the co-writers. This came from a short film they made in 2009 uh, this was, you know, it was spawned from their frustration with uh, the misrepresentation of women. This is a quote: misrepresentation of women on screen when it came to unplanned pregnancy in films such mm-hmm. as Juno, Knocked Up, and Waitress, all in like 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted, de- you know, uh, she. Fe- they they felt this and say that again. They're upset because all those films ended like with someone having the child. Exactly. Yeah. All of them directed um, by a man as well. Should be nice. And a lot of them, I mean, besides maybe Juno, well, I don't know. I mean, a lot of them are centered on the man. Like, knocked up for sure. Like, I mean, Seth Rogen is in most of that movie. Um, Michael so doesn't just, consider it, as as far as I remember. Yeah. I, I, yeah it's I kind mean, of I, up upon. So, yeah, so they made a short film in 2009, uh, released it on Vimeo, 40,000 people saw it. Uh, then they, you know, with the response, they decided to make an actual film out of it. Um, it's, it does feel that of a work of like, 
y'all don't really know how it is here. Here it is. This is how it's actually like, like this is what you're not seeing. I mean, it doesn't feel like necessarily like a statement film of preaching a completely different lifestyle. It's just showing. It doesn't have like an agenda. Right. Yeah. It's just like showing a window into reality to what people in these situations go through. Um, It does. I mean, it felt like that through the entire time. Um, It's a brave movie too. And I know that's so condescending. So many times people say that when it talks about anything that, that has anything to do with um, uh, feminism, but it's just, it is when it comes to anything taboo, right. But like using, you know, planned parenthood is like anything using those subjects is something that is not really well received most of the time. Um, at least by a wide, you know, from a, from a large crowd of people. Um, so this was a risk for sure. Even the fact that in it, um, Donna's like almost 30 and she's so scared to tell her mom mm-hmm. that she's going to have an abortion when like she's like a, a grown woman. Um, mm-hmm. It's completely her own decision. And in the end, a fully a grown-up adult, yeah. Yeah, like, spoiler, but, like, her mum's completely <laughs> fine with it and completely supports her, but it's such... She puts off telling her mum about it for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of um, the my favourite movie of the year, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Uh, I think the movie is extraordinary, and despite these two just about similar topics i feel like uh never really sometimes always kind of cancels out any uh paternal um over overbearings and it's just like you know these two girls are just on a mission and and it's like the obstacles that they have to overcome is like what what they have to go through it's not the debate with the parents it's like so it's like it's interesting i can Maneuver. Yeah. Her friends are so involved mm. as well. So, like, yeah. Uh, I, I love the friend characters. Yeah. Um, she's like, tell him. No. He's like, he seems sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. he seems lovely. Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no. Like, you don't need to tell him. You don't owe him anything. Um, I also think it, that's an interesting side to it. It's like, yeah. seeing how people would react. Yeah, the support in nature is certainly like goes movies tone and earnestness, and um, I love how that scene could be so easily uh, interpreted as improv, even though it's it it's also a compliment to the script because it's like this is so fresh and um, um, and so personal and, and and easy, but it's like they could have easily had had said this with with no eye contact with the page, just like yes, anding each other. Um, and that's with a lot of scenes, especially even uh, the Jake Lacey scenes. Yeah. Who's Jake Lacey? He's Max, and oh, he's and uh, Jake Lacey, who I who I adore. Uh, he's he's certainly he's very hot. He's he's, he's gotten this reputation for <laughs> playing a super like over like a puppy golden retriever, nice yeah. guy, and. Um, like he was in Carol. He was in Carol. Uh, Who was he in Carol? He was, uh, um, I believe, Rooney Mara's boyfriend. 
Yeah. Ah, yes. White. No, that douche. Okay. Yeah. He does play. <laughs> he does play uh, like a very like. Yeah. You know, up upstanding straight white male. <laughs> but at the but he's but nice. Yeah. yeah. Um. And in high, I, fidelity. high fidelity. I was just gonna bring up. He's outstanding. Um. Like he's such a similar character to Mac. Yeah. In high <laughs> and again, and also in the office. Um, yeah. Um. But yeah, he's he's always gonna be like so good at what he's told to do. But what he's being told to do is kind of homogenous. Um, he does look like a golden retriever, though. You are <laughs> correct in that. Yeah. I also find it funny because in High Fidelity, again, it's like a woman sleeping around, and he's just like, well, he starts off as just some guy, and then obviously it develops into more. But again, <laughs> he's still like there like comes to visit her at her store like just wants to please her as like her personal taxi yeah <laughs> so similar in obvious child like going to visit yeah. her at the bookshop being like like, oh, like go get food from that truck you said you like <laughs> you, you said you could fuck a burrito <laughs> yeah <laughs> mouth fuck a burrito yeah right <laughs> there's that so one, there's that one episode in high fidelity that um uh matt jake lacy and um, Rob, they go to this record owner, like this record vinyl owner's house, and it's it's just those two. I think for the majority of the episode, and it's like you get the banter and get their their chemistry is so good. Um, yeah, he's really good at just playing the guy that, like here, your friends just want you to end up with. Yeah, and it's not like there's anything wrong or right about that. It's just like yeah, he's just stand up dude. <laughs> Do you guys know who Michael Ian Black is? I do. He looks like a hot Michael Ian Black. <laughs> oh, oh, that's funny. Oh, I, I didn't even consider that. He was, um, he was in uh, uh, What Hot American Summer is where I know him. Yeah, that's, that's all I have to say. I, 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 <laughs> no, I just made that no observation. Talk. I wrote it down. I thought it was funny, and that—that's—that's that, that's it. That's really my thing. I do love how abrasive we. Um, yeah, as you're mentioning earlier, the quote of how you know, like the reason why um, Donna is so loved is because she's unabashedly 100% her on stage. She does not care. She is just, you know, she she does. She basically, you know, reveals every single part of herself, no matter how rude or um abrasive um she is uh and i and i love how when the movie starts that is in that is instantly um that's instantly shown by the literally through the credits like when you know you see the logos of the studios or whatever she's going into her joke about um how her how her underpants look after um after the day and like it (laughs) And I and it, like going straight into how she describes um, what was the quote cottage cheese that crawled through a plastic bag or something like that, um, and it's just it it just it just goes straight into it and it kind of I just love it it's it's very I already said it but it's very abrasive um, it's very just telling of like this is who she is she doesn't give a fuck you know like this is she's only like, trying to make an analogy or something it's, exactly it's like this is you know, you're not, this is, there's no filters for this. You know, there's, mm-hmm. this is not some person who's so. You don't also feel like about. she's, she's not cynical. She's not like. No. Um, 
she's not a bleak person. It's just, yeah, she just kind of doesn't really hold any barriers. It's like, it's kind of refreshing. Yeah. In the, in her special, doesn't she say that she's an eternal optimist? Yeah. Oh, in yeah. her stand-up special. Sounds right. It's weird how much those two things connect. I mean, again, same director, mm-hmm. you know, she, Jenny, like she is very much herself in this film, but like, I don't know. There's a lot of connections to be made. Um, but like just going straight into that stand-up act as the opening scene, I mean, and going to have that joke to be the first words in the film. Yeah. Um, they didn't give a fuck and I appreciate it. I really do. And also just using the stand-up clips as kind of chapter marks is, is just very, mm-hmm. like it's kind of brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, first act, third act, yeah. or yeah, first, third. Like that, first. That's very true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's a short movie too, which yeah. I appreciate. Probably one twenty. So I mean, God tier. Yeah. Jimmy <laughs> um, Brewster also wrote and directed a film called Landline. Yes. Which is about like it's got Jenny Slayton again who's like an older sister. Then there's a younger sister who I think is about like 17 or something. And then there's the mother as well. Um, and that again is all like about womanhood. And in it, I think Jenny Slate's engaged and she like sort of decides she wants to move home and is like terrified of her fiance and is like actually committing to like this big life change again. So it's sort of similar themes in that way. It's like a boyfriend meets the parents kind of situation kind of but it's yeah i think it's all about like taking it to the next level when she's like you know what like i i don't think i can do this um, yeah and then it's and like, the, the sisters like having her first sexual experiences and everything and then i think the mom and father are like splitting up because he's having an affair but it's all these like complex sort of romantic and sexual stages of like each of their lives it's awesome no i, I definitely want to check that out now because it's like you gotta i feel like that's a missing piece that clay and i have now <laughs> with the jenny and slate the, yeah i'm on a Trilogy. jenny slate hi more jenny slate <laughs> yes and please um but you're talking you know you're describing uh, landline another film to come out recently that connects directly to the creative team behind obvious child is um yes god yes it's uh, from a co-writer of this film, uh, Obvious Child, uh, Karen Maine, made her directorial debut just this year, um, talking a lot, a film explicitly about um, a young woman in a Catholic, Catholic school, school mm-hmm. yeah, discovering her sexuality, Natalie Dyer. I've heard good things about it. I like Natalie Dyer. Yeah, she's I, great. You know, I've just realized, I saw the short film of this, like, mm-hmm. Two years ago, I think. I didn't realize. Yeah, 2017. No. Okay, that's going on my watch list. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I hear it's good. Uh, a friend of a friend of ours, um, Shay Vassar, really highly recommends it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I do see, I do see that they are, that this creative team at least are committed to some of these themes, uh, which is good because, like, not enough movies are about this stuff because it's all so predominantly you know male you know the 
I mean, fuck, like from the seventies, I mean, from, I guess more on, but like explicitly like explicit films discussing like someone discovering their sexuality or talking about sexuality in general um, is just, it's been so predominantly male since the eighties, honestly, if you want to go, I mean, you go before then, but I'm thinking of films where it is so like, it's raunchy, I guess is the term. Um, but like genres and careers have been made from it, from all the Apatows to the Rokins to all of that stuff mm-hmm. that now that like, and it's all become, and it all, it's all become so generic and just kind of uninteresting and bland and, um, is this comedy in really, general? No, not comedy, but just these kind of, com- the, the, I guess the romantic comedy centering around a dude who's who sleeps around a lot. Right. Yeah. He's kind of a schlub. It's just become it's become just such a it's become so uninteresting because there's nothing new to say about it because it's so like it's just been done so many times that for right now like to have other dynamics being put into this when it comes to films like Obvious Child and stuff like this is just like it's so much more interesting. Yeah. In order Um, for it to be interesting, you kind of need that male protagonist to be the co-pilot yeah i also think kind of like you talking about that reminds me of um i would compare the film that awkward moment with Hmm. single and how to be single again has jake lacy as like the sweetheart throughout Um, really oh wow yeah again the the sweetheart jake lacy yeah (laughs) but i think like with that awkward moment i rewatched it recently and i used to love it when i was like 13 or 14 i don't know um, and then I rewatched it now, and I'm like, this is, they're awful, awful men. Like, they're, yeah. they're <laughs> disgusting to, like, all the women they're involved with. Um, and then How to Be Single. Again, like, Dakota Johnson's the lead, and she sort of just dumps Nicholas Braun out of nowhere, and then, like, goes crawling back to him a bit later, and then it sort of develops more from there. But, again, that's about, like, women like sleeping around obviously it's literally called how to be single um, mm. interesting then, move dumping cousin greg like that not sure how <laughs> that know. sits with me but <laughs> i would never <laughs> not a million years again there's that like i can't remember the actress's name but the woman who plays dakota's sister in it um again is like scared of commitment which is similar to the guys in that awkward moment um and then there's Dakota who's like fresh out of a relationship which again mimics that awkward moment and she's just like trying to put herself out there um but for me how to be single is so much more interesting and rewatchable and like palatable in general than that awkward moment mm-hmm. and I think they were made maybe like two years apart or something so awkward moment came out in 2014 same year as obvious child and how to be single came out in 2016 yeah Nice. But it feels like, with the content, they feel so far apart. So, again, that could just be... I think How to Be Single is still directed by a man, but... Um, yes, but written by a woman, or a yeah. few women, actually. That's still um, Yeah, no, I, I, I do think that this genre this type of movie of finding like this independent person in this big city, you know, figuring out life needs more life into it. So, you know, putting in new perspectives adds, you know, kind of adds this kind of 
reinvigoration of a tired genre like this. Um, I mentioned before we started recording a film that we have covered that I think is similar to this um, is Francis Ha. Yeah, I agree. I th- the, you know, big city finding, you know, it going through a life of, or going through a struggle of I'm 30, I have to be an adult now. I have to make adult decisions and those decisions have adult con- you know, uh, consequences. How do I deal with that? Um, and just, the expectations that are put on you, you know, your tumultuous love life, um, and also how endearing you are just being yourself and how it's completely, it's like how you're not, how it's like, okay. And you can build a support, you know, a, a support, um, support group around that, or like, you know, you have, um, people around you who appreciate who you are as you are and don't, you know, I, yeah, I I think those two films, uh, you know, thematically have a lot in common. Mm -hmm. Um, And both are from interesting, unique perspectives, you know, Uh, of course, Francis Hall was directed and co-wrote by Bombach, but Gerwig is the life of that movie. Um, Co-written by, yeah. Yeah. And co-written by it too. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, yeah. No, no, go ahead. No, I'm definitely drawn to those kinds of films. And like, mm-hmm. I started writing a screenplay at the start of lockdown, actually. And I made a playlist based on like the kind of sound I wanted it to have. And the playlist is called, Oh, to be a 20 something year old undateable woman, unsure of where her <laughs> life is going. And for me, that is just completely, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen any of Noel Wells' films as well. Um, but she did Maybe not. very well, and oh, I think there's another one, but I can't remember what it's called, but that's still that same sort of vibe, is like, I'm in my 20s, and I'm just trying to sort of figure out. The world is my oyster kind of thing. Yeah, um, but it's like about messing up, and like how it's actually completely fine to do that, and no yeah, one it's a good thing. knows what like being an adult means, everyone's just making it up. Yeah. And ultimately, also, I think both yeah. both movies are like uh, it's it's kind of fun <laughs> to make mistakes. Like it's it's enjo- it's not uh, it's not it's not like they have a comparison um, to people who are who are boring or um, less extraordinary than those who are just like okay, well here is my steps A, B, and C. But it's like yeah. they feel they feel they can keep their um, their morals intact. When even when things are going to plan, um, and uh, um, Donna still has a plan, even though that plan is like so. It's 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 thought through, but it's not like she has to have any del- deliberation about making that choice. It's kind of like going to the Italian restaurant for her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, completely. But it's still kind of uh, dealt with the same amount of weight, I think. And I think that's interesting. And then, because obviously you've got Mistress America as well. And I rewatched that recently. And I, it's absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. And again, it's that whole like, oh, I've just moved to a new city. I don't know what I'm doing. But what I think that's quite interesting about Mistress America is like, whereas in Obvious Child and in Frances Ha, like Frances and Donna are both such distinct people. Like they're completely themselves. Whereas Mistress America, oh, I can't remember the protagonist's name. 
Um, but she just wants to be Greta Gerwig's character. And so all of it yeah. is her just like trying to copy her and live through that. Which it's I like your shadow has like a bit of a delay to it. It's like your yeah. shadow's buffering. <laughs> yeah. um, I think also both films, if we're going down the road of comparing Francis on Obvious Shadow, which, which I've started proudly, um, I think both are raw and authentic, which is needed for a movie that is detailing an experience that has not been portrayed accurately on film. Um, both f- films feel like are not polished. There's no punches really being pulled. They're still entertaining, funny, and, and light at times, but it doesn't feel um, it doesn't feel reserved or like scared of going the extra mile to do what it wants to say what it wants. Um, Kind of like when we talked to Myra with stories, it's an easy challenge. It's something that's palatable and enjoyable, but still, like, you feel mm-hmm. intellectually, um, you feel intellectually that you're playing along with, with the kind of questions it's asking and with no easy answers. Yeah. yeah. And it, it doesn't feel, again, it doesn't feel like it's gone through this, like, this Hollywood input-output machine of gloss and polish that kind of that kind of rips out some of the more real, you know, um, truly authentic things about living like this, living as this person, living um, living from this perspective. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel stripped of its heart, which you know a lot of which is a danger with these kind of uh, these kind of comedies is that it's become, you know, the heart or the core of it, that real core of connect of human connection can kind of be like, I don't want to say ripped out, but obscured going through the, the machine that is quote unquote Hollywood in the film industry. Yeah, so films that really portray to, that uniqueness and reality are so special. Similar to Francis, this one doesn't feel as though, uh, it's following any tropes. It doesn't feel like it's tr- it's trying to like copy off a trend. In fact, like mm-hmm. you were saying with the quote earlier, they're trying to end those tropes and and those trends. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of like seeing with Francis. I suppose like you could make the argument that it's the twenty something trying to figure out um, that person's life is kind of like uh, we get it with the indie Sundance kind of thing, but true. Um, I don't know. It, it, there's a reason why Francis Hot is so believable and is so beloved, and um, yeah. that same can be said for Obvious Child. Like, it's a kind of staying power that it does not get left behind with the other homogenous um, movies about uh, coming of age. And yeah, and just like living and like just becoming in a feeling. It's not like, coming of know, age actually, because they're actually no, no. It is that. coming to adult. <laughs> I think is kind of coming to adult. Yes. yes. I mean, that's kind of how I see it. It's just that like, like Oh, I'm like a person has to have responsibilities now. You know, I have to be quote unquote mature and understand that. I I can't play with my toys anymore. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I can't suck my thumb. Yeah. You, you, okay. Um, you can't, you know, you can't just not do your taxes anymore. I can't pick my nose. Yeah. It's so, so weird with the, Yes, all of those things. You are correct. <laughs> um, but 
Yes, can I ask you, what keeps you coming, like, you rewatch this movie a lot. What, what, what's, what's about, what is it about this movie that makes you, I mean, we know why you love it, but why do you want to rewatch it so much? You've seen this as much as Clay has seen Dread. So there has to be more. some kind of No, I am never, I've, I'm not a person who rewatches movies often. So I, I, you've seen it more times than I've seen anything probably. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know like what a straightforward answer would be. I just, it became something that I put on for comfort. And then I think when I went on my year abroad, there was a night and I was like, you know what? Like the only thing that is going to make me feel better right now the one in Hong Kong? Yeah, when I was in that Hong one? Kong. Okay. So far away from home, like, just, I don't know, I just needed something that felt a bit like my friends from home. And I think I watched it going into, so when I turned 20, I watched Obvious Child, like, and it ended as it went midnight. And then I watched Francis Hart in the morning when I woke up. <laughs> And I was just like, okay, this is this is where attempting to adult sort of begins. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I find comfort in the two of those films a lot. But yeah, Obvious Child, I think my whole rewatching phase started when I was in Hong Kong. Um, and I think, like, I put a letterbox review and I was like, this feels like a hug from a best friend when I didn't have access to any of that at that time. Um, and again, yeah, I don't know. I think it's probably because of the depiction of Donna and how much heart it has and how it's like quite raw and down to earth. Um, and then, yeah, then I'm just in love with like the two of them and their chemistry and like the whole obvious child scene where like the song is playing and they're just dancing around. Like that just makes me really happy. And the Paul Simon song. Yeah. Um, it's at like the stage where like, I don't know, it's just part of my <laughs> routine. Um, it, it's, it grounds you. It kind of yeah. gives you like a template to, I don't know. Like, I understand that, really. Um, it kind of feels like you're making a friend in Jenny Slate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like, I feel like I understand this person. Um, she's very warm, even though she's very abrasive. <laughs> um, after I watched Stage Fright, oh, what did I say? Let me just look at it, sorry. A great special, by the way, that all of you should watch. I mean, we've already talked about it, but Stage Fright on Netflix is very good. Um, it, it's, it's, I mean, I don't, I have a very interesting, a, uh, a very interesting recently. format as well. Yeah. Yeah. The documentary hybrid. That's, uh, but her act is also so unique in that one mm. in, um, the special. It's just, just, no one does comedy like her. Yeah. What were you going to say about stand up actually? I cut you off. Me? No, yeah. I, oh no, I just, finish? yeah, that was, that was my, that was, oh. I said what I said. Don't take it back. So when I watched Stage Fright, I said, despite never having met her, not knowing her, her never having met me or knowing me, Jenny Slate is a woman I kind of look to as a big sister. Obviously, I'm not a comedian, but the way in which she carries herself and seems to navigate the world always hits me. Something that seems to come up a few times is Slate's loneliness and her longing for the long. Her mother talked to her about their family's way of romanticizing things, and I think it helped me to understand myself a little bit too. Yeah, I think... I just think I'm very similar to Jenny Slate. Um, but again, like I've said, I'm not a comedian, but just the fact that she always talks about romanticizing everything and sort of like trying to have a laugh about things even when it's not great or like, I don't know, turning it into something positive 
um, like with her optimism, as we talked about earlier. I just think I really relate to that side of her as well. Yeah, and even, even it's being so, for sure. so open about the sadness buried in, underneath all that optimism. Yeah. Or it's just like, okay, yeah, I, I get that. It's a big sad. <laughs> I, think I'm, I think I'm an open book as well. I don't know. Like, I joke about things on Twitter, but I also think, like, I don't really have anything to hide. Mm-hmm. I'm a terrible liar, so I just never bother. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's... I agree, though, and I think that's what comes from the relatability factor in this movie and in Francis Ha is that they're not repressed people. They're not these people who are, you know, repressing all their true feelings and opinions and emotions about things. They're very open and they let you in on that. So it gives you this perspective and connection to them that feels special and unique because um, they're unique people and you're, they're, you're also getting, you're given, you're being given an understanding of their unique um, experience and thoughts. Yeah. And I think like we were talking about earlier with my writing and how for me, like the thing that I focus on most is probably my personal connection. And then like speaking about my own experiences and how the film sort of reflects that for me. I think that also comes through quite a lot and that's probably why I love Obvious Child so much. Um, and even in like my personal essays, like unfilm related stuff, like the ones that people seem to like the most are the ones where I've just been like, okay, I'm going to share some mm-hmm. of my deepest, darkest thoughts and like emotions with a bunch of random people online. Here it goes. Yeah. <laughs> That's where great connection can come from too. Even if they haven't lived that certain thing you're talking about or they don't really know much about it, if you truly express yourself in a way that feels so personal, raw, real, you know, real, authentic, all the all the similes, um, it it comes across. I mean, that's why no matter where where you're from or your demographic, your point of view, your ideology or whatever like if you tell like a real story with real emotions people will understand and relate to it i mean that's why the, again and we're talking about these two I, it's become kind of a francis episode um didn't mean for that to happen but like julia I mean, comes in and bombs us right now yeah. <laughs> obvious child feels as if i am not a woman uh and so like what i i thank you um <laughs> Okay. So I don't have this perspective. I'm not even, I'm not, I don't live in New York or blah, blah, blah. But if you give me like a template, like a, not a template, but like room to really understand what is going on, who she is and her, you know, like her personality, um, how she lives, like what her, where her mind is at. I don't have to have that experience to understand and feel that human connection that we all kind of want to feel when we look yeah. at other people, when we hear these stories, when we, um, I don't know, I, this is getting a little deep, but I do think that even though this is a comedy and that the jokes are great and there's a lot of poop jokes that are honestly five out of five, five out of five poop jokes, good fart jokes too. But like, but again, that those jokes, even though they're just like, you know, it might be, quote unquote crude humor those come from a place of authenticity 
this is who she is. This is what she finds funny. This is what she jokes about. She's a real person with, you know, you know, all with, you know, a complete set of characteristics um, and uh, personality. So like seeing that on screen gives you a connection to it, whether you find it necessarily relatable or not, you still have that connection. And I think certainly, that's why these films like shine. Certainly rather than just the story, it's the storytelling that is mm-hmm. uh, an expert at generating empathy, like the empathy machine that, you know, Ebert will always talk about. And it's like the same can be also said for Yaz's letterbox reviews, whether they be like joking or, serious like i I think it's always gonna be like okay you can click with a person whether it's uh uh writing or visual but um yeah switching gears for a second actually (laughs) the david cross in this actually took me more by surprise than jenny slate's uh winning performance because when david cross shows up which i who i'm a big fan of I love Mr. Bob, Mr. Show, but it's like, whoa, I was not expecting this. Yeah. <laughs> Did anyone else like, was anyone else, like, it's not like he threw me off, like by no means. It, he's not like Nick Kroll and loving, but at the same time, it's like, whoa, where is he coming from? <laughs> I was, I'll be completely honest. I do not like David Cross. Um, I don't really, I, I don't, he's, I just don't like his vibe. I don't like his tempo. I don't like any of it. Um, I, his, I haven't seen Mr. Bob and Mr. No, just, uh, no, no. I mean, I don't think, I don't know if he's problematic or not. I don't, I don't don't really care, honestly, but I just, I think he's funny on Arrested Development. Um, but just like when I see him in anything else, I have not seen Mr. Uh, what was it? Uh, Mr. Show and Mr. Mr. Bob, Mr. Show. It's the sketch comedy show I do with Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, with Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, I know. I, I'm like this neophyte when it comes to that and i apologize but like i watched i i think his like a little while ago i watched his like recent special um his recent netflix stand-up special david cross's one oh, have I and i and i guessed i and it came out like 2016 or 17 and, uh, and when i watched it i kind of just since then have been completely put off by him i just really? don't like his vibe I don't know why I can tell you, but, and like, I find him really grating in the sense of, I don't know. I, he, he seems like a douche. I, I don't know how else to say it, uh, which he, it, which is good for the character he plays in this because he's a full on fucking douche rag. Yeah. Right. Certainly takes a turn. <laughs> um, and I applaud it. I mean, I just, I don't like seeing him on screen. I don't like hearing him talk, but like, I don't know why I have this personal feeling about David Cross. I don't know. He might yeah. be okay guy, but like I do, I, I like that they ch- chose to have him as this character. Is it, Oh, come on. Is that the special? Probably. I don't know. I kind of watched it? it from my mind. It just was so, <laughs> it was so self-serving. He just was seems like, rude? he seems, no, he just seems obnoxious and self-confident okay. and narcissistic. I missed it. Sorry, um, I don't know. I don't you know, bash David Cross right now. Something similar that I heard another friend say um, when a friend and I saw uh, Palo Alto, the Gia Coppola movie, uh, he was like, I hate James Franco. Because like, just that one, pr- I mean, you know, like James Franco and David Cross, I think those are kind of like 
a little bit different, but it's, it was like, he didn't know anything personally, but it was just like from that one performance, he kind of like get a gut feeling. Because mm-hmm. in for those that don't know, Paul Altel, he plays a soccer coach uh, that he gets a little too close to Emma Roberts' character, and um, oh, I don't like still, that at all. Yeah, he gets. I he just gets, hearing from it. Um, it's a good movie. I, I like that performance, but yeah, it's it's a relationship where you're like, wow, they are really going here, and um, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. So interesting because at the time that Paul Altel came out. Like around 2013. Yes, I believe so. So when I was like 14, Palo Alto was my film that I rewatched all the time. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think for me that was probably one of another film actually that got me into like cinema in general. And yeah, it's another stepping stone. Yeah, I just think for me it's probably more the way it's shot. Um, and I remember I read the book, which is also written by James Franco. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, again, it was like, it's like with Skins, the TV mm. show, like how like raw it was. And it was like, oh my God, like teenagers having sex, like what, we never get to do this. Um, I think now, like now looking back at it, I, there's a lot wrong with Palo Alto, but maybe that's also like part of why it was written and why it was made. Like, I think it's all based on, James Franco's own teenagers, like people he knew and stuff. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think Euphoria probably does a much better job of that now. Or mm-hmm. maybe it's like a sort of way of reimagining that kind of story now, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it could also be like uh, the way that Palo Alto ages, where it's like this one. Yeah. It just its style is i can also like i think i need to see it again to to make this my own opinion but i i know that some other consensus is like that is the sundancey independent um coming of age that we've we've all come to to find homogenous and yeah. um the it doesn't feel earned with that franco roberts relationship that it then develops um, but yeah, aside from that, I think David Cross kind of, yeah, I, I think I see where you're coming from, man. Like Cross kind of plays someone that you do get a bad feeling from and mm-hmm. he does, he does play it a little too comfortably. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think he's striking, I think he's, he's striking what the character is going for. So I don't think it's like personally, like when, when I thought about what you said, I don't think it's his fault. I, I do think like that is all on top of what you think. It's also that. Um, added layer of like okay yeah this is this kind is of like, his brand and in this kind of film brand, that yeah. brand is put to its forefront of being an obnoxious douche who seems in, like every um, bad comedian's uh personality i don't know in a arrest development complete opposite at least exactly. from what i remember Tobias that's why Blue i like him in that it's just because he's so, so not him so funny yeah and his um little stint and um uh, Eternal Sunshine. He's he's really hitting the bases. I think. Um, oh, does he yeah. play like the brother or something or the friend? He plays Jim Carrey. Uh, he plays Joel's best friend. That's right. Okay. Yes. Yeah, he's good in that. Yeah. What do, What do you think of David Cross and Obvious Child? Yes. <laughs> or that scene in general. It like we've been saying, 
it, it almost doesn't seem like he's acting. Yeah. He kind of is like, I can see you. I want to believe that you're not like this, but I can definitely see you. You're too good. Yeah. And like the whole scene where like he comes back in that awful tank top. <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. I love her reaction to that too. And like yeah. we talk about the gold Kia and like, <laughs> it's just... The way that he describes Los Angeles kind of gives you uh, not the best feeling about the character. Yeah. Yeah. But I can see, like, even if it's not him, I can just see a lot of men in the comedy scene being like that in general. Right. And I think, in which is worse. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's... I, yeah. Like, it makes me, like, scared of him in a way. But also, mm-hmm. it's funny to watch because... I don't have to sit there and live it. Right. I think if I was actually experiencing that, it would just be a complete nightmare. And it's just a little bit more heartbreaking that as uh, Donna is leaving with uh, David Cross, <laughs> Max comes around the corner. And he's yeah. just like ready to see the show. It's like you know, you don't want to let Jake Jake Lacey down. You don't want to, yeah. <laughs> come on. He's if you give him a bone, he'll sit down. You know. <laughs> And I think part of it is like obviously after the whole scene where she's been at David Cross's apartment, um, I think the fact that it like it took that for her to realise sort of how good of a guy Jake Lacey's character is, because um, in that sort of where she finally has her like big realisation of like I should yeah that's the aha moment yeah. yeah like more of a chance like he's he's really genuine because mm-hmm. they couldn't be any more different <laughs> the two. <laughs> Right. And I love, I love, uh, um, and also the aha moment when uh, Donna is the daughter of Jake Lacey's um, yeah. uh, instructor. And it's like, no, she's literally a genius. <laughs> she's the best of her And it's like, the, I think those two are kind of pieced to- together, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, puts you like close, close together. And it's like, like, it's not, it's not like they um, they have everything figured out just within the social circle as well. Yeah, and I think going on from that as well, the restaurant scene where he <laughs> the butter. It's a lot of bread. <laughs> but I think that you're like you're begging her to tell him. Right. And obviously, then there's that line about wanting to be a grandpa, and that completes so. Right. Oh my god. Yeah, I want to be a dad first, but. Yeah. <laughs> Max, remember that the... one time? Go yeah, ahead. And then, Go and then she's like, Max, remember that one time we had sex and this? <laughs> she's like trying it out in the mirror, like all those yeah. things. <laughs> yeah, I, I love those little those little character moments. Um, I think I don't know that that shows me the confidence that the director and the writers had into this character, and also to, and, and also to Jenny's ability to really sell it. Those just moments of pure character work. Or her outside um, her douchey's ex-boyfriend's house just taking two sips. Like, if I take one more, if if that person crosses the street Slowly on my second sip, down. I'll leave. Yeah. yeah, just like, it's just pure, you know, it's just purely her making the scene work with no one else to uh, react around. It's just her, um, her, uh, her flexing her comedy chops. Um, There's actually a few times that, then 
there are a few scenes that take place outdoors and like dead of winter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's very funny to, to just like on top of kind of the awkward situation that the close knit characters are in. They're also like freezing their ass off. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's cold as fuck in this movie. <laughs> that, that, that's a fun little business going on there. Yeah. I love when Gabby Hoffman's like, if we're going to get an abortion, we're going in style. <laughs> get the taxi. So good. She's great. Mm-hmm. I love her friend in this. Such a good friend. Hey. Yeah, Gabby Hoffman is, it's like, you can tell, if like they were best friends in real life, you would kind of believe that. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's interesting because um, I think his name's Joey, um, mm. played by Gabe Liebman, is mm. actually like Jenny Slade's best friend or like one of her close friends. Oh, that's friends. funny. Yeah, no, you can believe that. Gabby Hoffman was in Sleepless in Seattle. My mind is going crazy right now. Yes, she was. At Who least was she? She, she was the little girl. Um, oh that, yes sorry but she's really good in she's that movie good. yeah she's mm-hmm. the she with the flight attendant as the mom mm-hmm. oh man so. what a star when her and Just, jenna are i mean uh jenna oh my god uh jonah all right yeah all those scenes that's so cool sorry oh, yeah I, i'm so glad i know that now Clay and i just um, came off of watching a bunch of Nora from movies and now we're just like any kind of connection to those cast are just gonna be like, what? <laughs> have you guys spoken to Fletcher, Fletcher Peters? I have not. She's in my. Um, I want to get her though. I. She's done a lot of romantic comedy writing as well. Yeah, and I think she's doing. I think at the moment she's very much in the Nora Ephron phase. Oh, that's fun. But I've seen. Hmm. Quite a lot. Noted. Thank you. Lately, yeah. Awesome. We'll definitely keep that in mind. Mm. Um, what was I gonna say? What were you going to um, Oh, yeah. That moment of... It it gets close to a romantic comedy um, cliche of the coincidence of him being uh, a student of her mom. That's the one time it gets close, dangerously close to being like, all right. Well, I see slow, what you're know. doing here. Let's you know, not let's, do let's, that. I mean, it works because it's not because it's the, it's the only time it gets really that close to a coincidence like that. But like, it is the mo- at that moment I'm like, oh no, please don't go down this road. Don't go down this road. Just stop it here. Don't go too crazy into the. I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I mean, I don't mind necessarily the romantic comedy format, but it didn't necessarily feel the cliches would not feel warranted in this kind of movie, honestly. Um. <laughs> But still, it's it's fun. The Crocs. My mom is like, why are you asking about Max? Max is not your type. Like, what? Mm hmm. The jokes about her. I love. I don't know. It, it's funny that how shitty of an ex boyfriend she had. Like how, like, how. I don't know. I know it's used for comedic effect, but he's like so shitty. Like I'm like, how? What did you see in this person? Like, is she? He like he. The, um, Was he a rebound? Was he? Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's funny. Mm-hmm. And you could also see it kind of venturing into a, a romantic comedy type when you get to the meet cute. But there's kind of tough ways to maneuver around meet cute, where it's like, okay, this is fresh and original. So I understand. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes full, like, I, I think the scene in her, when they're taking the, like, I think the scene where it really just tells you that this is not a romantic comedy, or not a typical one, at least, um, is 
her taking the test with uh, Gabby Hoffman in the bathroom, yeah. it goes full on like, no, we're we're going to be different. Like, you just like we're we're just going to make our movie. What like however weird or um, unique it is, like this is it. I mean, the, I feel like the monologue. This... Yeah. All, like her taking a dump in front of her friend while they're like, <laughs> while the pregnancy test is ty- uh, um, is getting done. Mm-hmm. I think that's really funny. I think if this wasn't like an A twenty four stance with approval, um, kind of movie, then the trailer would be like, "This isn't your average romantic comedy," and then it's just like, "Uh oh!" Like Jenny Slate's like. She has got like the pregnancy test. She's told like that. Um, speaking of A24, actually, it's funny to see this in its legacy and how early on it was in its, its birth. Um, because obviously, obviously, obvious child, they've had others come about since and they've grown and they've, they've kind of found their niche. But at the same time, you can kind of see in this being um the middle child oh hey of its oeuvre and yeah and in a year that like i think this was around the like spring breakers under the skin yeah. uh enemy kind of timeline like early a24 in present a24 are kind of same and different at the same time yeah Discuss. um I don't know. I mean, we've talked about A24 so much that um, I can't think of like a I can't think of a film that's exactly like this. Um, I don't know. I kind of feel like, do you think they're going out of the comedy realm more and more? Like when was their last full on comedy? I guess eighth grade was 2018. Midsummer. (laughs) Fuck you. It is. I love how that's a take now. I mean, it is. There are well, some Will funny Poulter's things about it. Character yeah. genuinely makes me laugh a lot. It's true. Um, it's true. But I just like that whole like Midsummer is a comedy. I'm like, all right, right. Calm, calm shit. Calm, calm, <laughs> calm down. It's calm pretty- down. Film Twitter. Just like John Mulaney and the Sackcloth Bunch was a twenty four. It was. That's true. Yeah, they do weird shit like that. They just you know, produce like you know they produced the Jer- J- uh, Jared Carmichael show that was early in A24's mm. career, but still, just weird things like that. Weird things, yeah. Uh, the comedy wise, I suppose. Uh, Wait, what was did did they produce her second feature, Landline? Is it? Am I crazy or is that Amazon original? Yes, it's like it a is. shot Amazon's, in the dark. Okay, Amazon yeah. Studios. Right here on the poster. Okay, I can sleep now. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yes, but um, anyway, um, I think A24 being like, no, this is a comedy. You are meant to laugh at this. You can laugh with it. <laughs> like, I think that has certainly taken more of a hybrid stance um, ever since. I think you could be right. The like eighth grade was sort of their last which we've also done. You can check yeah, out Yeah, it does feel like it's its most studio-friendly A24 film. If that makes any sense. Yes. Like, you could see that, like, I mean, I don't think they would have the creative liberties that A24 kind of helps with, but you could see another studio that maybe a little 
might have a little more of a higher higher revenue or sorry um more resources to produce a movie like this but it's still it still takes it takes enough risks that it would probably just miss out on that if that makes any sense i don't even know what i just said <laughs> um yeah no um i think I, I think this film just really moves along really you know just quite well and always stays true to itself it's just i don't know it, it it's not like the most inventive movie ever made but it just feels fresh it doesn't yeah, slice like, of life like, is certainly yeah. like um really it's it's quite easy to venture into self-parody but um mm-hmm. I couldn't I predict slate. what was happening next, though. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't. It's not like and it was like yeah, it surprised the hell out of me. But it didn't just kind of like it. It didn't feel sh- as structured as a lot of these kind of movies are. If that makes any sense. And it, I mean, like we said earlier, it's it's a real true blessing that it comes without an agenda. And if it came without an agenda, then it's like, yeah, we gotta deal with this now. Um. And uh, neither does never really sometimes always. That's a bad title, right? Can we just, can we just be truthful to ourselves? Well, I think it becomes a good title once you've, once you see the movie, then it's like, okay, that's a bad title then. Um, to recommend, I I, I don't know. Never rarely, sometimes always is just like, it just does not roll off the tongue. I guess we get a call Eliza Hitman and apparently I have, I have some the words title. to, I have some words to right. say, listen, I need you to strip every copy of this. I need you to change it. I need mean, <laughs> some ideas. It's not as bad as edge of tomorrow though. <laughs> you mean live to repeat? repeat. Okay. Yeah. God. Weird. Um, yeah. I, I mean, this is just beside like, you know, we talk about like the relatability of all of it um, and like the emotional core of it. It's also really fucking funny. Like all like the joke, like I, there wasn't many jokes that didn't hit for me. Um, it just all seemed like it, it's, it's not like a thousand jokes a minute, but it's at, it's a pretty steady clip um, and they all work. I don't know. I mean, Richard Kind just being there, like him just being a, like a puppet maker is funny in itself. Yeah. Like it just like all those little, those little personality traits they sprinkle in or um, characteristics uh, or details just work for me. And it's kind of a cliche at this point, but you can't to say about comedies, but you kind of feel like you can venture into anybody's life and you'd still get a pretty good solid movie out of it. Yeah. That's like a good, yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Oh, I'd love a movie about Richard Kind and his puppets. I mean, just Richard Kind in general. It doesn't have to be character. Please. <laughs> Speaking of uh, John Mulaney and the Sackwatch Sack Bunch. Bunch, of course, yeah. What, was, what, what is he, what, what's the segment, girl, girl club or girl, um, what's, you know, when he's in, being interviewed by the... By the kids, mind. yeah. Yeah. And they're um, asking, like, did you see Bill de Blasio on the train? <laughs> uh, good movie. Um, yeah. Is there anything else we want to really talk about before we get into favorite scene? I don't. I don't know. What about you, yes? No, I don't think so. I've got, like, my bullet points. I think I've said everything. Say it again? I've got my bullet points, and I think I've said everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um... 
I think the actual scenes of like leading up to the abortion um, are really, it's crazy that they stayed tonally consistent through that because it really could have gone off the fucking rails because it's such a needle to just like have some, you know, to, you know, to properly portray the weight and somewhat in like seriousness of this thing while also keeping to its heart um, without like there being tonal whiplash. Right. Um, I think that's pretty great. I don't and I think that's, pull that off. And that's when you get the, uh, the strength of Gillian directing and why the, the sex of that person directing the movie might really come into play. Like it's come into play the entire movie, but that scene especially where it's like, you can't, you can't have, you have to be really delicate this kind of situation without as taboo as it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, you it's can't just use like, a hammer. So you have to use a needle. If that makes any yeah, sense. You have right. to be it's, pretty surgical with this. Yeah. It's quite mature. Yeah. Um, and I just, I love that final scene as well. Um, it's, it's can I just say this one thing? The craziest on thing about this movie, it ends with them watching Gone with the Wind. Who the fuck could have predicted that? Right. I don't well, know why, but like, that's a wild choice, that movie. Or you know, any of this, any, any, anything that happened. Gone with true. the Wind. And I like, she's, oh, she's like, I haven't seen it, but it's like 10 hours long. <laughs> Are you trying to go anywhere? <laughs> yeah. It's just, I don't know. That's like, that shocked me. Like, Gone with the Wind? Why are you watching Gone with the Wind? What is what is happening? I also think that's part of it, because it's like, neither of them really choose to. It's like, it's just on TV. They're like, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> right, they just stumble upon Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Like, I've never watched it, have you? And then they're kind of just like, alright. <laughs> it's such a weird choice. And also, like, I was trying to work this in like, organically, but we are kind of keeping track of the amount of coincidences that the... Um, when we recorded our episodes and real life things that happen coincide with the movie that we talk about. And just What's this one, <laughs> just today, um, podcaster and comedian. I, oh, yes, that's was right. recast that's right. as Jenny Slate's role in big mouth as Missy. And it's like, what we were just going to talk about the, that's, yeah. that's kind of loony. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that is a fantastic, just if we could comment on that for a second, like that's a fantastic choice. I love Ao. She is it, fucking hysterical. Um, more power. Yeah, great choice. I haven't watched the show. I can't comment. Oh, Big Mouth is so, oh my, you are going to love it. I hear it's good. I hear it's good. Oh, it is very funny. Do you have any thoughts on Big Mouth, Yaz? <laughs> yeah. All right, fine. Yay. I'm, I'm not alone. I'm Thank alone. You. You're always alone. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> that was really depressing to say. I'm sorry. I feel horrible now. No, All right, no. favorite scene. Let's get to favorite scene. Um, who wants to go first? I think mine is when I kick you off this. So. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Yes. What about you? <laughs> hmm. I know. Yeah, right? it is hard. Yeah, this is always like I never feel prepared for this part. Yeah, it goes to like the obvious child scene, like where the one like mm. the titular obvious child. But I think it could be the restaurant scene, like where he walks the butter, because I think that just shows how sweet he is. Um, 
and obviously her going to the toilet and she's like trying to psych herself up like come on you just gotta tell him you just gotta tell him like she's seen how kind he is she sort of knows that he's gonna like be accepting and supportive of it um and then the way he just immediately like she's taken all this time to build up to it and he just immediately cuts it down with the like i can't wait to be a grandpa <laughs> and then obviously she just she can't cope with it and just shoves the bread in her mouth and is like i'm not dealing with this it's a lot of bread it's so good <laughs> I love how slowly it is too. It's like not even. Yeah, but I think. So many tunes. Yeah, I don't know. I think the the warm my butter. Like, there's an interview with Jake Lacey where he talks about it. He's like, I I've never heard of that being a thing. Same. I wish I was as nice as this character. Like, I wish to warm someone's butter. (laughs) Well, Jake Lacey, we actually like that's so funny because he just he's kept in this basement with like saltine crackers and Lacroix. Um, whenever he's needed for a new project, they just pull him out like they do with Lucas Hedges. Um, well, I have mine, Clay. Is that a reference yeah. to Wes's review of Three Billboards? It is. Good job. <laughs> um, well, my... Oh, crap, did I just lose it? No, oh, it was when she rev- like figures out that she's pregnant. Um, I think that's very clever. There was the pregnancy be, test or the her in the changing room in the dressing room. I think there is mm-hmm. a million and one ways to do that, and <laughs> the way they go about doing that is quite clever. And uh, thoroughly laughed, and then thoroughly was kind of like in awe of the way that that Slate took that in and Gabby Hoffman's compassion. Um, yeah, it was all there. Gabby Hoffman is the goat. I was um, so like, it's so believable of like a, of that realization, um, because it doesn't like obviously afterwards they do the pregnancy test. I love that I said they do the pregnancy test because it's so like them together. They're like sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that moment of her just being like, oh yeah, like I don't know, I just feel a bit weird, like my boobs hurt, whatever, blah blah blah. <laughs> And then the way it's like a passing joke, like, haha, maybe you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then it's that, like, boom, realization of, like... Light bulb. I was kidding. <laughs> I also love how... <laughs> I wrote this down in my notes, how when she's like, well, you haven't had sex with Ryan in, like, months. And she's like, well, yeah, but... And, and Gabby's like, pee farter? You know, like that's how he refer she refers to Max is and I love that because that means you instantly know that um that Donna told that story to Gabby about how he farted in her face while he was taking a fizz. And now they actually came up with a nickname of called P Farter as Max. I think that's uh, I, I I it's such a serious moment too, because not serious, but like it has like consequences of like, oh no, she's pregnant. And then just immediately undercut that with her saying pee farter was just so funny to me. Yeah. And uh, I also like that makes me laugh because I don't know if everyone does it, but I know me and all my friends will refer to like people in our dating lives with by nicknames like that. Mm-hmm. Like it will never be their actual name. It will just be like one defining like characteristic of our experience with them. Definitely. Especially if it's not like a serious relationship. It was just yeah. someone you've been on a few dates with. Like that's definitely nickname material where you don't even have to really explain who the person is. Since it's not that serious. Boys are so boring. We're just numbers. <laughs> we are numbers. Um, 
I think my favorite scene, uh, I mean, the her at the abortion clinic is really great. I mean, her, like, when she is under sedative and tears just kind of just roll down her face so organically is really Oh, yeah, there's that one shot with, like, the, mm. the lamp, to, yeah. like, kind of blinding her. Just, yeah, that's and they, and it, it, it just, kind of just falls. And, like, the tears just like, kind of fall off her face. They're not, like, streaming mm. down or anything. They just kind of fall and just... I don't know. It's very devastating. Um, how she's talking to Gabby about Gabby's abortion and like how much you think about it, and she she says, "Can you take it? Can you take it snip by snip through me or with me?" Which is a, another good joke. Um, Her mom thought she was at lacrosse, like field hockey practice. In field hockey, that was a good one. Um, I think maybe it's that one. I think I love the friend dynamic there with. Um, all three of them just drinking wine, talking about it. Um, also, her scene with her mom is so good. Actually, that's ah. it. No, that's the scene. That's my yeah. scene. Amazing. Is her just talking to her mom? It's the so relief. like, yeah. Ugh, it's so it's so earned too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so because it also is believable why you would be worried because this mom that seems so critical of her and how she lives and her independence and all of that. It would make sense why. Jenny would be, or Donna would be worried about telling her this, but it's also earned that she did, that the mom wouldn't actually care, care too much about it or like wouldn't react um, badly to it. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, Absolutely. it's smart. It's smart writing. It's very mature. Um, it's well-directed. Um, I think that's that the heart of the movie really shows, um, shows in that scene. Um, and I think Jenny Slate also just really knocks it out of the park with a scene that does not really require much comedy. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's, in, vulnerability I think it's in, in stage fright that she's like, I've always wanted to be a dramatic actor and the comedy was mm-hmm. just kind of like in the way of, of being, of meeting the ultimate goal. Uh, and it does kind of have that notion of like someone who's, who's seizing an opportunity yeah. and, uh, there's no capability for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I'm just praying that I, she works in everything from now on. Um, is she that... going to be in the Venom sequel? <laughs> no, she dies in the first one. That's oh, the, that's yeah. why they're so shitty towards her in that movie. <laughs> that's my one complaint about so it. That's a yes, right? That's a yes. <laughs> oh, man. If she was in it, I'd pump my fist just like i'd freak <laughs> out as if it was avengers endgame like the doctor from Venom's like ah oh. um yeah no um oh wait what i thought she died in it apparently she's in the second one wow. never mind i just, I just fucking lied to you wow. i guess i manifested right. this wow cool very cool all right whatever whatever <laughs> i mean more paychecks for her or no wait no no wait 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 no i lied i lied never mind forget everything i just said i was wrong I was looking at the IMDb, the IMDb page for the first one. So, uh, I'm embarrassed. Oh my goodness. But yeah, Jenny Slate is awesome. She needs to be in more things. Um, Yaz, thank you so much for coming on. This yeah. was such, that was so much fun. Please come back. Yeah, please. Thank you so much. I'm so sorry. It's been like such a pain to organize for so long. Oh, oh yeah. No. We give ourselves I'm, this pain. No, it's, this is self-inflicted. We, uh, Honestly, I'm so much more of a pain to organize with than any of our guests. It's truly crazy. He is going to be um, fired. Uh, you're not my boss. I'm my boss and I quit. No, I'm joking. Mm, well, uh, you're I, not, I'll, I'll, 
No, uh, okay, all right. We'll we'll talk about this later. We'll talk God about this. Damn it. But yes, tell us where everyone can find you on the internet. Ooh, um, I usually direct people to my content, I guess, if you want to hear all about my life via personal essays and reviews and all. That's just yazjames.contently.com. Um, I'm on Twitter. I post a lot about Phoebe Bridges and obvious times <laughs> on there under Uncle Yaz, named after Men I Trust album Uncle Jazz um, and then Letterboxd I'm just Yaz James as well I've kind of you know I've got a weird relationship with Letterboxd at the moment um, and I'm sticking to one-liners I think and I've started to turn my comments on to only friends actually this doesn't mean, like this is a bit sad but I just think the amount of people that attack I mean I think everyone gets attacked on Letterboxd for no reason but I think especially mm-hmm. like, women and sometimes they bring my race into it as well and i'm like yeah i'm just trying to have fun Mm -hmm. Um, so i've stopped letting (laughs) letting everyone just comment on them now we talked about this with lucy from letterbox on our gling ring episode very very in depth it's it's bad yeah you can't have nice things i enjoy anything without getting like someone in the comments being like you're stupid well people suck comment se- um, comment sections were a bad idea anyway they were i mean the internet in general all, is a bad idea we can all agree well baby we can steps, all agree but. baby steps okay that's fine but again thank you so much for coming on um love to have you back anytime you want yeah, uh you don't have jack, to set anything can, up just call us yes really. don't, totally 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 yeah. jack where anytime. can everyone find you i can be found on twitter Jack A. Draper, and my writing for movies can be found at Cineflix Daily and The Simple Cinephile, which, yeah, as I know, you also have some material on as well. Is that right? Nice. Yeah. So what about you? Oh, everyone can find me at Birds of Clay on Twitter. Um, uh, Mr. Clay Williams on... <laughs> Don't mess it up. Yeah. Sorry, I've just changed my usernames recently. So wait, Mr. Birds of Clay, Birds of Clay, God, Birds of Clay on Twitter and Letterbox, Mr. Clay Williams on Instagram. You can follow the podcast Twitter account at ETT Pod. Um, you can sub, uh, leave us a voicemail on Anchor. Uh, please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Give us those five stars on iTunes or whatever service you use. Greatly appreciate that. Um, Next week we have we have as above so below with Mary Beth McAndrews, and I'm ready to explore the Paris tunnels. So who isn't baby catacombs? Who isn't catacombs? Who who weird? All great things. Paris skeletons, catacombs, a red and black poster. Yeah, the poster is pretty dope. It's pretty dope. I haven't even seen the movie, and I'm like poster five out of five. Which Um, by the something else that I just realized. The movie came out six years ago, like today or tomorrow. <laughs> Isn't that kind of funny? As Above, As Below came out the, yeah. like in August. Si- yeah, yeah. Like the 28th, 29th, 30th, Jesus, around it. Man. Jeez, yeah. It's Wild. like the universe is connected to this podcast at a cosmic We're, level. Or being told something. That's it. That's the only explanation I can think of. This was our destiny. Clearly. Um, <laughs> but. Again, thank you all so much for listening, and please remember, 
defund the police, Black Lives Matter, and we'll see you next time.